0: Some time ago, I read an amazing book. Not a Christian book. It's about in the 1800s and part of the 1900s, a European family that exercised incredible power around the world. And yet, their exercise of that power was hidden from view. Nobody knew about it. They controlled financial markets. They manipulated political events. They influenced uh, global events. uh, But it was all hidden power. Nobody knew about it except a handful of people. The public at large had no idea of what's going on and, and the extent of the power of that European family. Among other things, this particular powerful, wealthy European family financed and gave financial support both to England and to France during the Battle of Waterloo, figuring out that whoever emerges as the victor will be beholden to them. Not only that, but they had so many intelligent officers around the world on their payroll that it would have rivaled the CIA. All done behind the scenes. All this power was done with invisible hands. Uh, Yet, they were the ones who determined who should come to power and who should not. Some historians actually describe this European family as the most powerful family in modern history. But alas, they used their power for selfish ends. They used their power for their own perverted ego. They used their power for their own gratification. They used their power to increase their wealth, and in so doing, they employed cunning, deceptive, and manipulative methods, self-serving. And yet, that hidden power manipulated circumstances. They manipulated stock markets. They manipulated people according to their whims and desires. Whenever I read a secular book or read a book like that, I keep my own perspective, my biblical perspective in mind. In reading such books, I wasn't really fascinated by the power per se, but my biggest fascination was how the public was oblivion to their power, how the masses were ignorant of their power. The world was totally blinded to the extent of their powers. In many ways, my biblical worldview immediately informed me (laughs) to my sorrow and sadness as to the blindness of the masses today to another power, totally different power, completely opposite kind of power. Of course, the power I'm talking about is equally hidden from the masses, from the public eye, and yet it is far greater power. It is the power that is often unseen, and yet it is a superior power in every way. The power I'm talking about is a selfless power. It's a power of self-giving. It's a power that is used for good, not for evil. It's a power that is permanent power. It is a power that is far-reaching power. It is… a supernatural power. It is the eternal power, and yet the masses either ignorant of it or they refuse to acknowledge it. The masses, either they're oblivious to it or they deny its existence. The masses, either they pay lip service to it or they're fearful to recognize that power. And of course, you know I'm talking about the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. The masses are very happy to think of a helpless babe in the manger. They're even happy to think of a helpless body hanging on a cross, or some sort of a feeble old man sitting in heaven who's impotent and able to stop evil from happening in the world. They refuse to accept the powerful, resurrected, ascended, glorified Jesus. That's where the masses are. To be sure, yes, he was a helpless babe in Bethlehem. Sure, he was, had a helpless body hanging on the cross, yes, and he died on that cross. But even in these events, even in the manger, even on the cross, he was, is, and always will be the mighty and everlasting God. And that is why 1,000 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, God the Father said in Psalm 110 that Jesus is the only anointed Messiah, that Jesus is the only Savior of the world, that Jesus is the only way to Him, the Father. Last message, if you weren't here, download it from Psalm 2. We looked and saw how God, a thousand years before Christ, revealed the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we saw the function and the role of each member of the Trinity in Psalm chapter 2. And here, 1,000 years before the first Christmas, in Psalm 110, God reveals to us Jesus as reigning and ruling supreme over the universe. (laughs) Jesus with His ruling power over the world. In Psalm 110, again, like Psalm 2, is one of the greatest prophetic, messianic prophecy of all of the Old Testament. In fact, Psalm 110 is the most directly quoted at least 27 times in the New Testament. It is quoted by Mark and Luke and Acts 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, 1 Peter, all quoting Psalm 110. And Psalm 110 is all about the divine power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about His kingly power. It's all about His high priestly power. It's all about His judicial power power. It's all about His power of intercession. It's about the vastness of His power over the universe, even now as we're sitting in this place. Now, there is no psalm or passage in the Old Testament that clearly spells the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ like Psalm 110. I want to give you a thirty-second history lesson, okay? God said to David, King David of Israel, through the prophet Nathan, who came to deliver God's message to him, that God will have his descendant to permanently sit on the throne of Israel. In other words, the Messiah will be a descendant of David, the physical descendants of David. Here, in Psalm 110, God the Holy Spirit directly spoke to David as he was putting down pen to paper on Psalm 110. And he said that your son is not going to only be the son of David, but he's going to be the son of God, the God-man Jesus. David sees Jesus, who is a physical descendant of his from the tribe of Judah, to be far greater than King David himself. He's far greater. That's why he calls him Lord. God the Father told God the Son to sit at his right hand until he makes all of his enemies to be his footstool. Ah, this is not the Jesus that the masses want to believe in. This is not the Jesus who is welcomed in the halls of power. This is not the Jesus that the masses really want to submit to. An Islamic scholar said, We are happy to accept Jesus, the Son of Mary, but not the Jesus, the Son of God. But that's precisely why He was crucified, because He called Himself the Son of God, and He proved it. A thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea, God the Father said, His Son will be none other than the Son of God who will rule and reign over the universe. In Matthew 22, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself applied the words of the psalmist to His life, saying that after He pays for the wages of our sins on the cross, He will be enthroned in heaven. And beloved, this is where Jesus is right now. He's reigning and ruling over the rim of the universe. Even though they cannot see it with their physical eyes. Even though they do not acknowledge it now. Even though they cannot accept it now. But for those of us, through the eyes of faith, we know that His power is supreme. That His Word is, is final, that His sovereignty is a reality, and His authority is indisputable. Now, you have to understand, in the ancient world, when there are kings, basically supreme kings, when they throw a banquet, when they give a big banquet, as you read sometimes in the Old Testament, Cyrus of Persia and others, and you see it, whenever they threw a big banquet, Whoever sits at the right hand of the king is the most honored guest. He's not only the honored person, but it is the most significant seat. But it's not only the most significant seat, it's the most privileged place. But that seat only is occupied by someone who has all of the king's authority. It is occupied by someone who has all of the king's power. He is the one who carries the signet ring for the king. In other words, he will make all the decisions, and the king basically blesses it. Listen to me. When Jesus walked the streets of our earth, he was scorned and reviled. He was harassed and taunted. He was mocked and rejected. He was arrested and unjustly tried in a kangaroo court. He was betrayed by his friends. He was forsaken by his disciples. And when he hung on that cross, at that very moment, everyone thought, it's over. It's over. They thought their dreams were shattered. They thought their hope was dead. But a thousand years before Christ was born in Bethlehem, God told us that when you see that happen, it's not over it's not over. And thus he rose from the dead on the third day. And forty days later after his resurrection, he was ascended into heaven. And there when he got to heaven, God the Father said, Son, welcome home. (laughs) Welcome home. Welcome home. Sit at my right-hand side until I make your enemies to be your footstool. Now, I must confess to you, I can have one-man revival just on that verse. Now, beloved, if you cannot have that vision in your heart and in your life and in your mind of the glorified Jesus sitting on the right hand of the Father, reigning supreme now, even though the world might be out of control, it is not out of His control. If you cannot visualize that, you can pray, and I believe with all my heart, God will give you that vision. See, the Jesus of whom Psalm 110 speaks, is the resurrected, ascended, glorified, soon-coming judge Jesus. Every human being, every human being on the face of the earth can make one of two choices. You don't have a third option, only two. You can know Him now as your Lord and Savior and friend, or you risk for all of eternity become His footstool. That's the choice. That's the choice. Every human being has. Look with me, please, at verses 2 and 3. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. That's where it started, but it's going to extend throughout the universe. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. The troops, that's your troops, will be willing in the day of battle. Arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. You received the dew of your youth. This is a picture of how kings ruled in the past. Kings do not stand up and make pronouncements like we have a speech, a president We give a speech. No, no. Sovereigns, when they make a pronouncement, when they're announcing the rule, when they're making big decisions, they sit down. They sit down as they rule. And express their sovereignty, I just saw Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth last week was opening Parliament, and she sat the entire time while she making the announcements of the policy of her government. They sit down when they 're making the rules they don 't stand up that 's an expression of their sovereignty, and that is why. The God the Father said to God the Son, Sit at my right hand. Because that's from where you're going to exercise power. That's from where you're going to exercise your sovereignty. That's from where you're going to announce, and you're going to rule, and you're going to heal, and you're going to touch, and you're going to change and transform lives. Before Christ and after Christ, the glorified Messiah Jesus sits down. The glorified Messiah Jesus is expanding His kingdom. All over the globe. All over the globe. How? Through his willing servants. His willing servants. Through his willing children. Through his willing soldiers of the cross. That's you and me. That's you and me. That's how he's going to extend his rule. Through you and me. Sharing Christ with neighbors and friends. That's how this prophecy is fulfilled. In you and in me. Question. How is he ruling now? Right now, while he is ruling on the rim of the universe, he's also ruling in the hearts of his children. If Jesus is not ruling in your heart, you have not accepted him as Savior and Lord yet. His subjects are living in enemy's territories. He rules in the hearts of his children while they're living in enemy's territories. The subjects of the king are living in enemy's territories. Jesus' disciples are everywhere. They are in Saudi Arabia, they're in Pakistan, they're in India, they're in China, they're in Indonesia, they're in Australia, they're in the United Kingdom, they're in the United States. They are everywhere in every corner of the globe. No matter where they're living, whether it would be democracy or despotism, it doesn't matter. Jesus is reigning and ruling in the hearts of His subjects. Being faithful and working to extend of his kingdom, they are willing servants. They're willing servants. See, that's the fulfillment of that psalm. They are inviting their friends and neighbors to come and know Jesus and to submit to his authority as king. Many of them do this at the cost of their lives, knowing that if their family found out, a member of their family could kill them. They could give them to the authorities, and they would torture them. But they tell you, I am telling you, trust me, I've seen the joy on their faces. They said, this is so small a thing to price to pay in relationship to the one who shed his blood on the cross for me. I want to tell you something. Please forgive me. Please forgive me ahead of time. That makes American Christianity looks like practical atheism. I don't say that with joy. They're not just following Jesus. They're bringing others to Jesus. They're fulfilling Psalm 110. Please don't miss what I'm going to tell you. Don't miss what I'm going to tell you. The greatest contrast... Between earthly king, earthly rulers, in relationship to their subject with the King Jesus, the King of heaven, is this. Earthly rulers and earthly kings have geographical boundaries. This is the territory of my country. But Christ does not. King Jesus has no boundaries. Earthly rulers... Lead their subjects to war so that they can extend their territories. King Jesus does not. Earthly rulers kill their enemies, not King Jesus. He invites his enemies to come and believe in him. The psalmist said, Jesus rules in the midst of his enemies, in the midst of his enemies' territories. He is reigning and ruling. Please listen to me. Christians are hated and persecuted and killed in the land of despots. Because they are despots, they do not want their subjects' primary allegiance to King Jesus. They want it to be to them. <laughs> and here is the irony. Here is the irony. Listen carefully. Jesus's followers are the most law-abiding people. They're the most law-abiding citizens. Uh, Jesus' followers are those who pray for their leaders and their rulers. Oh, but they will never, ever bow the knee to anyone other than King Jesus. Jesus prayed that they'll be in the world, but not of it. We are called upon to be there. Don't abdicate. Don't abdicate where God has called you to be. We are called upon to love those who call themselves enemies of God. We are called upon to pray for those who call themselves to be enemies of Jesus. We are called upon to persuade the enemies of God to turn to Him, to believe in Him, and to be blessed by Him. And furthermore, we must do all of that willingly, as the prophecy said, willingly, not under compulsion. We said, oh, I've got to do this. I guess it's my duty to do it. No, 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 no. You do it with joy. Here again, look at it in the text. Your troops will be willing. Say that with me. Your Not conscripted, (laughs) not conscripted, willing. The question is this, are you a willing soldier? Are you a willing subject? Have you ever presented yourself to the Lord and says, Lord Jesus, I'm reporting for duty. I'm reporting for duty. Here I am. Use me. The average person says, Lord, here I am. Send my sister. (laughs) No, my beloved. Here I am. Send me. Send me. Regardless of the cost of discipleship, send me. But Jesus does not only have kingly power as he sits on the throne, on the right hand of the Father. But secondly, he has high priestly power, high priestly power. Look at verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a type of Christ in the Old Testament. When you go home, read Genesis chapter 14. Read about Melchizedek, who met Abraham as he coming victoriously from the battle. And then Abraham literally bowed to him, and he gives him 10% of his net worth. Not 10% of his income, 10% of his net worth. And he hands it to him. It's not surprising that Jesus said, Abraham saw my days and rejoiced. And they want to kill him. you're not even 50 years old. How can you say Abraham saw your day? That's what he's talking about. Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of righteousness. Here's the amazing thing, here's the amazing thing in the Old Testament. Back then, there was called what we say in America, I don't know about the rest of the world, but we call in America separation of powers, separation of powers. I'm not going to get into this, but I think the founders got the idea from the Bible The separation of power was ordained by God in the Old Testament. And he said, the king must always do the work of the king, not the priest's job. And the priest must not do the king's job. The priest should do the priestly work, and the king's do the kingly work. And you remember in the Bible, when dear old King Saul, bless his heart, he he just could not wait for Samuel to get here, and then he did the work of the priest, and he offered sacrifice and he received the worst the worst of condemnation his whole family line was cut off ah he mixed the powers god called him to be king not priest and i'm saying this for a reason you must understand this this is unique this is unique in the christian faith But even the high priest in the Old Testament who would go into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, everyone who have sinned right after that day will have to wait another year to know if their sins were forgiven or not. They have waited for a year in guilt and shame and misery with burdened conscience. Oh, praise God we live in the New Testament. I don't know about you. I bless God every day that I live in the New Testament. Because now in the New Testament, because Jesus is our great high priest, the King of heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, our sins can be forgiven the moment we confess and repent. But there's more. There's more. Because our high priest, who is also king, cannot be changed every few years. and in, in the Levitical system, the high priest changed every few years. But praise God, our great high priest does not change. He is forever. He said in the order of Melchizedek, forever. Because the decree of God the Father that Jesus is the only one, now and forevermore, he's our only, not only king, but the great high priest. Melchizedek, was called the king of Salem, that is, the king of peace. Why? Because he not only represented permanent priesthood, not only represented permanent rule and sovereignty, but he also represented the power, the power of continuous intercession. Continuous intercession. Listen to me. I don't care what background you come from or what denominational background you come from, there is only one intercessor between man and God, and His name is Jesus, the great high priest. A pope cannot intercede for you. A saint cannot intercede for you. A priest cannot intercede between you and God. Only the high priest, King Jesus, can intercede for you in heaven. You see, Melchizedek, was a picture of Jesus. He was a shadow, a foreshadow of the coming Jesus because Christ is our true high priest, king of peace. He's the king of peace. Christ, our true intercessor. Nobody else can intercede for you except for Jesus. He paid the price for that ability to stand in the gap between every human being And God the Father. Not only Jesus' kingly power is prophesied, not only Jesus' permanent high priestly intercession power is prophesied, but Jesus' judiciary power is prophesied. He's the only judge. He's the only judge. When he sits on the judge's bench on that last day, Every human being on the face of the earth are going to be judged by King Jesus. That is why the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, he said, The time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands everyone everywhere to repent, for He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world by this man, Jesus, whom He raised from the dead. My prayer, and the cry of my heart, that He may give us the faith, the eyes of faith to visualize our glorified Jesus reigning and ruling in heaven right now. My prayer that everyone at the sound of my voice no more see the helpless babe in Bethlehem, no more see the helpless body hanging on the cross. The Apostle Paul said, We know him after the flesh no more. He's no longer a baby. He's no longer on that cross. He is now the glorified, magnified, reigning, and ruling King Jesus. It is my prayer and the prayer of my heart. Because He is soon coming, Judge. And you better be on the right side of the judge. What we now try to see with the eyes of faith, we will see with our physical eyes. Since I have committed my life to Christ, I have dreamed of the day when I see the sky split open and hear the trumpet sound and the shout of the archangel and then rejoice exceedingly to see the one who died for me, who shed his blood for me, who loved me so, who's been faithful with me for all my life. And I pray the same for everyone at the sound of my voice. Would you do that with me today as we bow our heads in prayer? Father, we know the Apostle Paul said, for me to die is gain, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, whichever way it is, whether it be in heaven or earth, it doesn't matter. We know that we are under His rule right now. And that is why, Father, I pray on behalf of everyone whom I never have heard this wonderful news that they can come under Jesus' rule, they can submit to Him as King, they can ask for His forgiveness as a great high priest, and they can prepare their hearts and minds for the rest of their lives for that great day. We know that it is coming, and we know and we grieve over those who don't know Him. Lord, my this Christmas season, Be the day in which the loved ones and the friends and the neighbors that we have prayed for for a long time. May this be the time of the year. May this be the moment. May the end of this year be the time when they give their life to Jesus Christ. Father, I pray this because I believe, we believe, we united together in believing that you, Lord Jesus, not only have heard our prayers, but you have answered them because we pray them in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.